Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, this afternoon, uh, if you've been with us for some time, either online or in person, uh, it's good to have you all here with us. But we will be now leaving, departing from the Olivet Discourse that we've been in the last few weeks. And so the passage we'll be studying together this morning, Luke 21, beginning in verse 37, we'll be going down through chapter 22, verse 13. You can find that, uh, most copies of the ESV, you can find that on page 881. Now, over the last, really, two years that we've been in the Gospel of Luke, or even the last few months, if you can remember, uh, it might feel like we're beginning to come to the climax. We're getting to uh, the climax of the story. You may recall from Luke chapter 9. Now, I know that it has been a while since we've been in Luke chapter 9. I had to look it up. That was in November and December and January of 2019 and 2020. So for nearly a year, we've been studying Christ as he's had his face set towards Jerusalem, as he has been determined to come to the cross and do this work on the cross. We've been studying this for nearly a year. So we're coming again to the climax, coming to the cross. And so the past several weeks, we've seen Jesus uh, teaching in the temple after the triumphal entry. Lord willing, we'll see that uh, almost as Gandalf said in Return of the King, that things are now in motion that cannot be undone. Uh, and I probably misquoted that, so forgive me if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. But we're coming to the culmination of his teaching. We're coming to the culmination of Jesus' ministry. But before he goes to the cross, there are a few pieces that still have to be put in place. And this morning, uh, Lord willing, we'll look at a few of those pieces and hear what the Lord has to teach us. This morning. So here now from Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 37. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? 
and he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word as we study it together. Now, many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the movie Gladiator. I can't commend all the parts of this movie to you, but I think it will help to illustrate uh, part of what's going on in the text. Uh, It's the story of a Roman general turned gladiator, Maximus, the, the hero of the story. He was a friend and an ally to the emperor Marcus Aurelius, but Marcus was betrayed by his son Commodus, and only Maximus really knew of that treachery. So Maximus flees as Commodus takes over the empire. And soon enough, Maximus finds himself captured by slavers and sold to a gladiator school. Now, as a Roman general, he's quite adept at fighting. And so he's put into the ring, and he just kind of keeps on winning. Soon enough, he uh, becomes one of the most famous gladiators in the entire Roman empire. But he's not using his name, so no one really knows who he is. Well, his fame reaches Commodus, who's hosting uh, a big festival, big gladiator contest in Rome in the Colosseum. So Commodus eventually wants to meet this famed gladiator. And so to his surprise, he's, he's dumbstruck when he goes down into the arena and meets Maximus, his enemy, still alive that he can't believe. So Commodus sets his mind to find a way to kill Maximus in the arena. He puts the best gladiators out there. He throws wild animals into the ring, tigers, right? And even throws a small army against his group of friends and gladiators there. But every enemy that comes, Maximus defeats. And I'm sure you all know of the decisions that would happen in the arena, this thumbs up, thumbs down, when a gladiator was defeated. And it was up to the emperor whether that gladiator would, would live or die. So Maximus has defeated another enemy, and the emperor gives the signal that he should kill him, and Maximus refuses. This is an act punishable by, by death. He refuses, he turns his back on the emperor, but he is so popular, and the crowd loves Maximus so much, he's such a great fighter, that they begin shouting, Maximus the Merciful. And the emperor can do nothing because he's trying to gain the popularity of the people by hosting these festivals, so he can't now go kill their favorite gladiator. So finally, Commodus wants another meeting. He goes and meets Maximus face to face. He says, what am I going to do with you? You simply won't die. So as we come to our text this afternoon, we see the priests and the scribes faced with a similar problem. They cannot find a way to kill Jesus. He has grown so popular that killing him publicly or arresting him while he's in the temple teaching uh, isn't an option. The crowd would riot, and the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees would all lose control. So as we move forward in the passion narrative, we're going to see the crowd be a factor in several ways like this, that the people are going to Uh, influence decisions of of Pilate. Uh, They're going to influence the lives of of Jesus and Barabbas, and certainly even Peter falls to some pressure of the crowd. So part of what we're going to see in this passage is the priests, Judas, and the other leaders, they're fearing the crowd. 
They're fearing man and not trusting in the Lord, not believing in God. So we ought to take a warning from them. But however, uh, we're going to see the trustworthiness of the Lord as well. So that's our outline this morning. The, the fear of man, the fear of the crowd, and trust in the Lord. So you'll notice that our text begins with Jesus teaching in the temple. Even in the early morning, people came to hear him. Now Luke adds to this by, by noting that the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, is coming. Passover is almost here. It's this very week. So each year, as they did each uh, Passover festival, people would come in droves, make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. De- devout Jewish people would come to, to sacrifice, to uh, hear prominent teachers of the law. This was a common practice. It happened each year. So as the crowds gather and they're growing larger with each passing day as, as Passover approaches, the scribes and the Pharisees are seeing just how popular Jesus has become. So the, the priests, they hear his teaching just as they have for a few years. Make no mistake, they know what Jesus has been preaching. The Pharisees and the scribes have heard it as well. So they decide again. They've decided several times, and it's, it's been in all of the Gospels, that they decided to put Jesus to death. But this time, they're, they're pretty firm on it. They want to find a way to put him to death in the absence of a crowd. So what's the motivation that Luke assigns to them, that Luke tells us, why do they want to do this? Well, it says they fear the people. Well, why is this? So let's, let's take some of what Scripture says, some different places, put it together so we can understand what the priests and, and the scribes and the Pharisees, what they're thinking, what their motivation is. They had heard him claim to be God. Though Jesus, in Scripture, he never comes out and says, I am God, he does certainly make that claim. In fact, in Luke 5, uh, he says to a lame man, your sins are forgiven. And there's kind of an uproar about it. And he says, so that you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. Jesus then tells